Grace to you and peace, faith family. If you will turn with me to Acts chapter 28, we will continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. As we are now, as you can tell, coming to the end of this fantastic journey that we have been taken. Uh, Last week, if you remember, we were bound for Rome, uh, and we encountered a terrible storm, uh, which has brought us to the place that we are this morning. And if you remember with me, last week, we ended with some of the nearly 300 people aboard this ship swimming to shore while others of us have grabbed whatever we could before eventually all of us were brought to land safely. That's 2744, where it says, And the rest should follow some on planks and others on various things from the ship. And so it happened that they were all brought safely to land. And when we left last week, we wouldn't know where we are because, remember, we had been tossed about by this storm. So when we arrive on shore, we wouldn't have known our location, much less all the things that we, are about, we were about to encounter. What we do know, however, is that God has promised Paul to bring him to Rome, and it is to Rome that we are eventually headed. What is about to happen, ladies and gentlemen, has been my experience when visiting various foreign countries and various foreign areas. Whether it be in Guatemala, in Quilapa, or the Africans of Fort Portal in Uganda, I have often come to the shores of their land and been treated with such care and, and such love. Now, it is not to say that we haven't experienced challenges along the way. That would be, uh, that would be false. And, and that is exactly what we discover here with Paul. What we are going to discover, we will discover where we are, we're going to discover who we are with, and then we're going to see life happen. How you see, ladies and gentlemen, in your life, how you see the unexpected circumstances of life is often how you are going to react to them. How do you you experience the unexpected? What are the things that you go through whenever the unexpected happens to you? And I can tell you that even this very morning, the unexpected things have happened and circumstances have come up and how you react to them are going to be based upon what you think and what you believe. You see, ladies and gentlemen, if the wind and waves are merely the byproduct of chance, then, beloved, we are not merely physically lost now on an island somewhere, that we are lost on the shore right here in Pensacola. Because I want to let you know the wind and the waves, they do blow. They're going to come and they're going to impact you in the things of life and they're going to bring you to shores and they're going to bring you to places that you never thought you would ever be. And if the wind and the waves, the things that happen in life are merely the byproduct of chance, then you will find yourself lost. You're going to find yourself being mitigated or being changed by whatever new thing comes your way. By whatever new doctrine comes your way, that's the direction you're going to go. Whatever's popular at the time, because you know what's popular is right and what's right is popular. That's why we follow those things. Whatever fad or trend or theological idea or composition or capacity that you're going to come to, you are just going to be pushed around by whatever, whoever you're around at the most, right? Because whoever you're around the most obviously must believe what you believe and they must all be right. Instead of saying, wait, what if the wind and the waves on our journey are the means of God's providence? 
And if they are the means of God's providence, then whatever we experience comes by the purpose of God, and it's going to unfold in the everyday stuff of life. It's as we're telling the students on Wednesday. Wednesday nights, the students are studying the spiritual discipline. And right now, we're on the spiritual discipline of guidance. Guidance, the spiritual discipline of seeking God's will for your life. And oftentimes what we have said and what we have studied over the past couple of weeks, and we're going. Uh, by the way, the students, we are, we are all headed this weekend uh, with a couple of adults, and we're going to Camp Victory, fall retreat. It's our fall retreat. And we're going to spend an entire weekend with the idea of spiritual disciplines, and we're going to practice them. And one of the things that we've been discussing is that oftentimes, ladies and gentlemen, is through the journey that we come to know or discover God's will or direction for our lives. It's through the journey. It's through the journey that we're able to experience all He has for us. That although we know He has us going to Rome, we might not know how He's going to quite get there. So faith family, let's rejoin Paul as I want to help you understand that I've entitled this sermon, uh, We've Arrived at Malta. Arrive at Malta. You're going to see in just a second why I say that. So join with me, Acts chapter 28, we'll read the first 10 verses. When they had been brought safely through, then we found out that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us extraordinary kindness, for because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer. And though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. But they were expecting that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading men of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously three days. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him, and after he had prayed, he laid laid his hands on him and healed him. After this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. They also honored us with many marks of respect, and when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all we needed." This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning having read in your word. and We ask that you would make your word alive to us, O Lord. God, I pray that we would see you. I pray that we would worship you and that we would love you. And that, Father, we would see ourselves in this story in some way, shape, or form, but more importantly, we would see you. And that, God, we would obey you. Father, I pray that you'll be with your servant this morning. Protect my heart. Protect my mind. May I be faithful to the word. May those who are here be equipped to do the work of the ministry. 
in the everyday stuff of life. Lord, it's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen. The first thing we're going to see is in verses 1 one through 2, we're going to see the kindness of the natives. The kindness of the natives. Uh, notice it says, when they had been brought safely through. So here is the indication that all 276 people made it through. And then it was discovered that as they had made it through, we found out that we were on the, uh, the island called Malta. So for at least the last 14 days, this crew had faced a terrible storm and that they were not able to navigate, and they were forced to allow the sea to take them wherever, wherever they would. We were told, if you remember, that the sky was darkened, and because of that, the sky being darkened, they weren't able to see the stars. And if you remember, the primitive navigation system was based on the reading of the night sky and on the constellations. So what I want you to know is we have nearly 300 wet, cold, and dirty sailors, soldiers, and prisoners on the shores of Malta. I don't know if you did this over this week. I encouraged you to do this last week when we were reading this. But when you look at this journey on a map, it is a miracle for them to land here For this is virtually on course for where they wanted to go in the first place. It's amazing that as God took them all the way through all these things, that they actually land on a place that takes them right directly into where they would eventually want to be. But we are reminded that this is what was promised by God if they had obeyed. Remember chapter 27 and verses 23 and 26? Paul writes, Paul told them, For this very night an angel of the God An angel of the God God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. You see, if God, God came to him and he said, If you would follow me and obey me, you will find yourself running aground on a certain island. Now, for most of us, what we want to know is we want to know the name of the island, we want to know the direction of the ship, we want to know the temperature of the water, we want to know the way the winds are going to blow, we want to know what our friends are going to think about it, and we want to know what our family's going to do in the process before we ever step out. But ladies and gentlemen, that's not the way it is to obey God's will. That's not what it's like to live in the everyday stuff of life. And what we see here, ladies and gentlemen, we confirm that the faithfulness of God's will as it was revealed to Paul, because I want you to know something, what God promises, God does. And here we are told that the natives showed extraordinary kindness. The word for extraordinary kindness is the word philanthropion. Philanthropian, philanthropian, philanthropian. Philanthropian. What does that sound like? Philanthropy. Philanthropy, right? Sounds a lot like the word where we get our word for philanthropy because it is where we get our word for philanthropy. At its core, it's the idea of hospitality. And I want you to notice that they displayed this kindness. They showed us extraordinary kindness. 
because of the rain and the cold? It says, how did they show us this kindness? The, the main verb here is them showing us this extraordinary kindness. And how did they do it? For because of the rain that they had set in and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. That's how they did it. So how did they show us this philanthropy? By what? By kindling a fire and receiving us all. Now, you remember I told you that if the dating of this is true based upon what we read last week, we are probably right around, guess when? And I did not plan this. We're right around earlier mid-November. Right around now. Ladies and gentlemen, there's something I want to say here that's very important because you see these Maltese, these people on the island of Malta, and you see them displaying this extraordinary kindness, and then you come, ag- you come ag- against this idea of the depravity of man, and you begin to say, wait, I thought men was totally depraved, and because they're totally depraved, they can't do any good. Well, I, I want to talk to both of these simultaneously because I think it's important that we understand this. What we're meaning when we say man is totally depraved is not their incapacity to do good things, but it's in their incapacity to do good things for the right purpose. Because, see, the reason we were made is to do good things for the glory of God. And in the depravity of man, because when we do good things, we're not doing it for the glory of God, therefore we are totally depraved, and even in the good things we do, we're not doing it for the right purpose. So what I want to say is this, in all of our talk about the depravity of man and the sinfulness of our hearts, which, by the way, is absolutely right and absolutely true, we ought to find no confusion with praising that which is good and beautiful, even among those who are not believers. You see, ladies and gentlemen, any time that man displays grace mercy or love which is ultimately in God we are able to reflect on those things as reflections of his image and his likeness as a matter of fact it is this idea in which I bring to every funeral that I ever preach I preached the funeral one time of a man who was an ugly ugly man and I don't mean physically ugly he was mean he was not nice he was not a believer Everybody knew it, and they asked me to preach his funeral. The family thought the rest of the family were crazy. Do you know who Donnie is? And I guess they expected me to try to preach that man into heaven. What they forget is that when I preach a funeral, I'm not preaching him into heaven. He's already met his master. I'm preaching to all those who are still living. This is where it gets interesting. So what did I do with this man? In all of his ugliness, and all of his depravity, and all of his sin, do you want to know some things? Sometimes even the most wicked people reflect the goodness of God. Because in any goodness, in any kindness, in any love that they have in their life, they're actually reflecting God's goodness. That's why even an atheist doesn't understand it. You're actually, you're actually doing the very thing that you don't want to do is showing us how good God is. Because although flawed and sinful and depraved we are, the image of God is placed on each of us and it is often displayed. 
One of the best examples of this, I was thinking of this with a situation that our family has faced in the past few months. My next door neighbor, his name was Sam. Sam was an ex-Navy. He, uh, he, uh, he, he spent some time in the Navy and he spent a lot of time. He was one of the most serving men you had ever met in your life. One of the most giving people you have ever met. I was in Uganda and this bad storm came. I don't know if y'all remember that, but when I was in Uganda, a bad storm came and a tree fell on Mackenzie's car, my daughter's car. And this man came out of his house without ever being asked. He chopped the tree up, he fixed everything, and he took everything, he took care of everything. During the hurricane, Sam was the very first one to come out of the, his house and make sure everybody was okay. He reconstructed my entire fence line at our last hurricane. My gate was being torn apart. Sam, my neighbor, unbeliever Sam, came to, my, came to my house and he goes, Donnie, I'm going to fix your gate. Just buy the wood. Bought the wood and he did a fantastic job fixing my gate. My, uh, my lights outside of my, my garage was uh, flickering on and off. And he was like, Donnie, what's up with your lights? Why don't you, what's up with them? And I go, I don't know, man. I'm not an electrician. He goes, well, I'm an electrician. That's what I did in the Navy. Why don't you buy the lights and I'll fix it? He comes over and he fixes it. This man was one of the most giving people you have ever met in your life oftentimes he would come to our front door rather inebriated but he would come to our front door and he would ask me to pray for others in our community hey will you pray for this will you pray for this person will you pray for that person now he would spend a few moments with me describing to me his personal take on God and all that you see, he was very cognizant of the spiritual dimension that surrounded us, and he was very caring to us as a neighbor. And he was always giving. He was always doing things for us. Old Sam. And then one night, our next-door neighbor Sam takes out his gun, shoots his wife seven times in their living room, sends me a text saying that he was sorry, and then shot himself in the head on the back porch. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the fact that he was a depraved sinner wasn't at odds with the truth that he did some things that were good. And when we see the beauty of God's goodness displayed, we are able to give God glory because we are God's people Regardless of the vessel that it comes from. Regardless of the vessel that it comes from. I think, I would say, when people do good in, light, in spite of their sinfulness, it is actually displaying the moral law that God has placed and written on the hearts of man. See Romans chapter 2. I think it's important for us to note this, that when we see the Maltese and we see their extraordinary kindness, or you go to places where there is none, there's unbelief, and you see people treat you, I will tell you, let me say this, I've said this before in, in gist, and I don't know if this is necessarily fair, but there have been times that I've been treated, I have been treated oftentimes nicer at a bar than I have at a church. Now, I'm not saying that they're saved or that, they're, that we need to stop going to church. You don't hear me saying that. But what I am saying is when lost man displays extraordinary kindness, we're able to see that kindness of God that has been reflected on them despite their depravity, despite their lostness. 
where I have problems, where I struggle. I don't struggle at a bar with people showing me kindness. I struggle at a church with people not showing me kindness. Because, ladies and gentlemen, what I see, and when I sit down and I look at this, it is important for us to note that the hospitality and the kindness that is indicative of the natives of, the, of Malta is actually described as an imperative for those who call ourselves Christians. So what these people are displaying without knowing the purpose of it, we are, we are called to display because we know the reason. As a matter of fact, when you read Titus or Timothy, when Paul writes to Timothy, you will see that hospitality is required characteristic of an elder. It is a required characteristic of those who would call themselves an elder. 1 Peter 4.9 goes even further. And here it says, and you want to talk about giving you a gut punch, Peter says that you are to be hospitable to one another without complaint, just in case you needed any other help. If we didn't struggle enough with being hospitable, now Peter wants me to do it without complaining. Goodness gracious, what does he expect of me? He almost expects me to look a lot like Jesus. So I say all that as we look at this and we rejoice in the goodness of these Maltese natives because we see a reflection for us as believers. I was in Fort Portal this summer in Uganda, and I was walking um, almost everywhere. I was walking a very long distance, and uh, I have some of my Ugandan friends in here with me, and they could tell you where I was. And so I was walking from uh, Lamech and Kelsey's house, and I was walking by, and one of the pastors met me there, who we had, uh, Pastor Nick from Calvary, and he met me there, and we were headed towards uh, a little coffee shop. Imagine that, right? I was headed to, it's called Sweet Aroma. I was walking there. And I remember walking through uh, this coffee. Uh, we were headed there, and then I stopped by to talk to my Muslim friend, whose name is Hussein. Uh, I'm the director of this Yadi, Youth Action Develop Initiative Organization. And, and mu the Muslim, uh, Hussein, is actually the guy who runs the, runs the car wash there. And... Uh, and he grabs me and he goes, hey, you want to walk to this coffee shop with me because that's where our other partner is. So I leave Nick and now I'm with, uh, now I'm with um, uh, Hussein. And Hussein's walking with me. So you got me and this Muslim walking next to each other. And he goes, hey, I, wanna, I want you to come with me. Now, I want you to imagine a, uh, a flea market type of location um, full of motorcycle riders, Muslims, and me. I am, I am, this is, this is not, I am the only white guy in the entire place, right? I stand out like a sore thumb, right? This, this man, Hussein, which I believe would probably give his life for me. He loves me. He cares for me. He prays for us every day. I could probably get him on my phone right now. You remember the video that we showed? He was one of the guys in the videos that we showed at the, uh, at the missions conference, at Mission Possible. Anyway, he walks me and he goes, I want, you to, I want to invite you to all of my friends. And he takes me on a Muslim tour. 
Do you know how, 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 how hospitable these people were to me? Just opening their hearts. So kind. As a matter of fact, they were so hospitable that I sat there and I looked at them and I said, that's the way I ought to be. They were revealing to me how I ought to be as a believer because if hospitality is who we are, then these men and these people are showing me unbelievable hospitality. So we rejoice in the goodness of the Maltese because we see a reflection of us as believers. We are to be hospitable and we are to be kind. And by the way, we are to have homes and lives that are available so that we can meet the needs of those around us. Romans would say, the book of Romans would say, we are to be practicing hospitality. I like that. We are to be practicing hospitality. You never become an expert at hospitality. You always are practicing it. I like that. It's like a doctor. Why do they call it a practice? You ever thought about that? It's kind of scary. But listen to what Romans says after that. It says, you are to practice hospitality because we were once strangers in need of being loved. Why are we to practice hospitality? Because we have been brought in as strangers. Scripture always, by the way, when you study the Bible, you can go from Old Testament to New Testament. In my, writings right, in my readings right now, I am in the book of Luke. No, I'm in the book of John, and I'm in the book of Ezekiel. Do you know something that has always struck me? It always strikes me that Scripture always seems to notice the kindness of all humanity when it treats pe uh, the, uh, the, uh, the people of God with, with kindness and humility. It always, it seems to illustrate, it seems to pop it out. Why is God's Bible always showing us that when people treat God's when other people treat God's people with kindness, even if they're unbelievers, it seems to elevate it? Because God is interested in his people. Do you remember the illustration that Jesus used? We call it the story of what? The good Samaritan. And it was a story of a good Samaritan, and it was used as an illustration for us to be kind to those around us. So ladies, here, ladies and gentlemen, here we are. We're in Malta. We've met the Maltese. We're on this bay. We're in this little, in this little, in this little bay area, like the Pensacola Bay area. By the way, just for historical purposes, that bay is still there today. You can go visit it on the island of Malta. You know what it's called? St. John's Bay. Hmm. It's interesting. So let's turn from the kindness of the natives and now let's look at the bite of the viper. Man, ain't that the way it happens? Man, it happens to me almost, uh, I would say daily, but I know it happens to me weekly. I go from the kindness of the Maltese to the bite of the viper, buddy, and it happens just like that. Everything's going good. You got everything going grand, and then all of a sudden, whop, whop, somebody pops you upside the head. You're like, dang, dog, where'd that come from? Just biting you, man, just taking you out, you know? 
But this is life. I love it. I love it. I didn't plan on this, but I love it. It is such a picture of life. It is such a picture of life. Kindness of the Maltese, and the next thing you know, somebody's biting you like a viper, right? But by the way, what would happen here, this is verses 3 through 6. I do want you to notice what Paul's doing. What happens, by the way, is exactly what I expect from a man like Paul, because this is what men do. Listen to what it says. It says, and some of you may have just jumped by this. I want y'all to know, Paul, this man had just swam for his life, yo. Right? He was cold. He was wet. He was a prisoner. What what did he do? But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire. So what's Paul doing? Paul's gathering a bundle of sticks and laying them on the fire. You see, what Paul does is exactly what we would expect men to do. Paul doesn't take the hospitality of the Maltese for granted, but he gets involved in the process. He gets involved in the process. Let me give you another Ugandan story because it's popping up. It's just like popping all over my head right now. I was in, um, oh, where were we? I may have to get some help here. We were in Kamwinge. We were in Kamwinge. We had traveled to Kamwinge to do some work, and these people had laid out all these food. And uh, typical of me, right? What do I start doing as soon as they start serving food? I start getting up to serve food. I want to serve. I want to help. I want to be a part of it. And they go, No, 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 no. We're we're you're here to we're here to serve you. And I said, No, 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 no. I'm here to serve you. Let me let me serve. And it gets into this service fight. No, I'm serving you. No, I'm serving you. No, you're not. Yes, I am. And then it's great, right? It's good stuff. So I want you to see that what Paul does is he doesn't take the hospitality of Maltese for granted. He gets involved with the process. This is, by the way, why I tell some of you that when we're doing missional community, and I've heard, I've heard some of you use this language because I've done missional community for a moment. And we're sitting there and we're doing life on life with people and I invite a family to come along and the family says, hey, is there anything you need to bring? Is there anything I need to bring? Well, you don't need to bring anything. You're more than welcome to bring something. Would you like to bring some drinks? Sure. Would you like to bring this? Always always allow them to bring it because it's a part of the hospitality process. It's a part of that giving and receiving. And that's kind of the culture that you want to build, right? Anyway, Paul gets involved and he begins to pick up sticks. Now, this is nearly 300 people. Now, I need you all to picture this, okay? Some of you... And I'm not saying that anybody in here is right or wrong on this because we don't know. Some of you got a big bonfire going on. Right? In your mind right now, you got a big bonfire. But I do want to remind you it's 300 people. That's a big bonfire, yo. So, either it's a big bonfire or maybe it's a bunch of smaller fires that groups can gather around inside the fi- around the fire. I don't know. You make your decisions. I'm going to go with the group of little fires, okay? Regardless, Paul picks up this bundle of sticks, and apparently he grabs a snake. He laid them on the fire, and a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. Now, the word for viper here uh, is, is a word, echnida, or echnida. It generally means vipers. What's interesting is today, there are no poisonous snakes on the island of Malta. So this means that many people assume, because there are now no poisonous snakes on the island of Malta, then there must have been no poisonous snakes on the island of Malta then. So Paul getting bit by a viper really wasn't a viper. It was a non-poisonous snake, and he was just just bit by a non-poisonous snake. 
you can take that. So you may be asking me, what about you? What do you think? Well, I'm going to go with the reaction of the people on Malta. Because like when I was in Uganda, they happened to know their animals a little bit better than I do. I'll never forget one time we were in Uganda. We were in, uh, not Uganda, we were in Guatemala. We were on a mountain. We were doing this work, and we were, I was walking up the mountain. And I remember these, uh, there were caterpillars. And y'all, these caterpillars were this big, right? Say, this big, this big. And I said, whoa, that is the largest, biggest caterpillar I have ever seen in my life. And I've got, I've got a bunch of Hispanic kids around me. And I'm going, that is a big caterpillar. And they're looking at me going, they don't have a clue what I'm saying, right? So I said to them, the caterpillar, and they go, ah, oh, yes, big. And I said, yeah, it's big. I said, get one. And they go, no. I said, get one. And they go, no, it will bite you. And then he goes, <laughs> and I go, don't go get one then. Don't go get one, right? And I'm sitting here going, I didn't know that. So what I would say here is, how do I know what kind of snake this is? I think the reaction of those on Malta who would know their snake seems to indicate that it's a poisonous snake. What does Luke write? They were expecting him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. Seems to be a poisonous snake to me, and it seems they would know what that snake is. Now, how there are no longer any poisonous snakes in Malta Go do your research. Go talk to the mold. I don't know. I don't know how that happened. Go find out. There are stories, by the way, and go figure it out. But what seems to be the focus here is the reaction of the Maltese. When the natives saw the creature hanging from Paul's hand, they began to say, undoubtedly, this man is a murderer. And though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. So you got to get this because this is almost indicative of what people think today. So you got to get the picture. Paul is a prisoner. So it's highly likely that as he is brought back on shore that there may be an indicator or a few indicators to these people on Malta that this man's a prisoner. So it says here that when they saw him, undoubtedly this man is a murderer, though he, is, though he has been saved from the sea. So justice has not allowed him to live. So it's, seen, it's likely that he is chained. So I want you to get this. If you saw a horde of chained criminals on the shore of Pensacola Beach, what's the very first question that you're probably going to ask some of these criminals if you're going to make them a bonfire? What in the world did they do to get here? Must have been something bad. Why? Because just like in our day, we expect bad things to happen to bad people. So here, when anyone experiences suffering, it must be at a direct correlation to some cause. Or as one of my very, very good friends would often say to her husband, correlation does not e always equal causation. Correlation does not always equal causation. Beloved, this is where your theology of suffering and pain becomes ever so important in life. Is Paul on this island because he has disobeyed God? Or is Paul on this island because he has obeyed God? 
This messes with some of your theology, yes? It definitely messes with the theology of CBN. Why? Because there's nowhere in your theology that can deal with God's sovereignty in the midst of pain and suffering. Why would God allow me not only to suffer a shipwreck, but to become a prisoner for two years? I haven't been found guilty. We can go all the way back, right? To be, to be abused, to be, uh, to be tried, to be put in prison for two years, to be tried and to be tried, and then on a ship and be on a shipwreck and to be hungry, and, and now I'm bitten by a viper. Man, it just doesn't seem like things are going Paul's way. And it seems to me that Paul must be doing something wrong in order for things not to be going Paul's way. I want to ask you a question. Is that your response to pain and suffering? I must be doing something wrong. Have you ever thought you might just be doing everything right and all of hell and Satan is up against you? Have you ever thought that there might be a battle and a war going on that is far greater than you merely paying your bills or your, uh, your current physical health? You see, this is where your theology of suffering and pain becomes important. Be careful, ladies and gentlemen, in casting judgment on morality based on either prosperity or adversity. Because this is exactly what Job's friends did. Because his friends, Job's friends held that the suffering that he was experiencing must have been done wrong. And Job held that the godly are often humbled in and through suffering. The Maltese had not examined Paul's life, but only were looking at Paul's life through an experience. The Maltese had not waited in God's providence of God before judgment. Instead, they made a quick judgment Based on incomplete revelation. And oh my goodness, are we good at that. Now, there are writings, Roman literature, and there are writings in Jewish literature that tells of stories that are written in historical frameworks of murderers who had been bit and died by the bite of snakes and vipers. So it is highly likely, and even pro- probable, let me say possible, maybe even probable, that this story, this idea, this superstition had gone on for a while, and now they had thought that anytime anybody gets bit by a snake, it must be that they're a murderer. I mean, we don't do that today, do we? We don't make crazy superstitious stuff up today. Folk theology is what we would call it. You know, your grandmama always told you this, so it must be right. Luke writes that Paul shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. Paul's my kind of guy, bro. Paul's my kind of guy. I mean, ain't no use in crying over spilled milk or, or viper bite. I mean, if y'all only knew our family. If y'all only knew our family. My son one time played an entire soccer game with a broken hand and a broken foot. Suck it up, boy. Go play. Get to the doctor. It's all broke. Ooh. Might not have wanted to play the full soccer game on the broken hand and the broken foot. I mean, that is our life. 
That is our whole family, right? I could tell you stories right now. I'm not going to, but I could. But Suck it up. Shake it off. Move on. How does a Paul, how does a person like Paul deal with all of this? I'm trying to think of the appropriate word. Challenges. What all these challenges? It's the same way we deal with challenges. How do we find contentment in the midst of a in the midst of a situation that we're in in our lives when all things seem to be going against us? Because Paul was promised to reach Rome come viper or high water. Because what God promises, God fulfills. So it says that they wait a long time to see. But Paul goes on, he seems to be unaffected by the bite of the viper. So just like the fickleness of the crowd, the fickleness of people in our day, they change their minds, and he goes from being a murderer to being a god. Just like that. By the way, this isn't the first time we've seen this type of response. Y'all been with me for a minute. Remember Paul and Barnabas and Lystra in Acts 14? They were thinking that Paul and Barnabas must have been gods. Here Luke doesn't record any admonishment like in Acts 14. Instead, what Luke seems to be more interested in is the way this will now open the door for an opportunity. It's as though under the providence of God, get this, it's as though under the providence of God, the snake bite was allowed in order for the proclamation of the gospel to go. Now, how many of you are willing to go through something like that? One of my favorite chapters on this in all of the Bible is the chapter in Isaiah, where God goes to the prophet Isaiah and he says, I want you to strip down naked and walk around for three years. Why? Just to be an example of the people? I was like, dang, oh, that's, oof, oof. And here we have a man who is so faithful to the proclamation of the gospel. You see, you can think that the viper came by chance. And you are welcome to that in your opinion. Or you may be able to think that the viper came by providence. In the first, that the viper came by chance, it's a series of the most random state of events, and I don't even understand it all. But if the viper came by providence, it's a direct path by the one in whose ways are not our ways. But we can trust in them nonetheless. Because that's what we see. We go from being welcomed, from the being bitten, and now we're going to look at the healing of the leader in verses 7 through 10. It says, Now in the neighborhood of that place, or the same vicinity of the shipwreck, were lands belonging to the leading man or the chief official of the island, whose name was Publius. Now here's what's interesting about Publius. Publius is a Roman name, so it is likely that he is not from the island of Malta. It is likely that this man is a Roman. 
And so he's a Roman citizen, and he welcomes us and entertains us for three days. Now, there is a question here as to who the us are. Who are the us? Is it only those affiliated with Paul? Since he is now being seen as some sort of God, which the politicians on the island would have been absolutely interested if they're, think about it, you're on an island, all your people are calling this man of God. I think you're going to be interested in who he is and who those people are around him. Or maybe it's all 276 of them. Maybe it's all of them. And if that's the case, then this Publius guy had a rather substantial estate, yes? But regardless, what we learn here is that Publius has a father who happens to be lying in bed with an affliction that we are told is recurrent fever and dysentery. Now, for those of you who don't know what that is, I'm going to allow you to go and do your own research on what dysentery is. But I've been around a nurse long enough. Brother Rick will come in and tell you stories about things that he has experienced in his nursing that you would never want to hear ever, ever, ever. But what I find interesting in that is who's writing this book? Luke. What is Luke? He's a doctor. Just like you medical people who want to put things in writing that I don't really want to know about, right? But that's what we know. He has... has Reoccurrent fever and dysentery. I want you to keep in mind, by the way, that the cure in this day for dysentery was very long. And I may think that Luke, okay, I'll give it to you, that maybe the reason Luke emphasized the sudden, uh, emphasized this kind of sickness was because of the way the miracle came. Because if it was a long cure for dysentery, and it seemed that this man suddenly had been, had been uh, healed, then it seems to be that Luke is trying to emphasize the miracle. But I want to tell you this. What made it available for Paul to influence this man and his father? Now, this is where I'm going to blow your mind. This is where, this is where my theology just gets like, uh, some of you are going to go, man, that is just deep. This deep. How was Paul able to be in a place where Publius would come to know him and be able to go to his father and be able to administer the ministry of healing to his father? Here it is. You ready? You might want to write this down because this is amazing. I know y'all are going to go, wow, that's great. Here it is. Because he was in the proximity of Publius. He was around him. Now some of you are going, what's the big deal? Well, I don't know if you know this, but the only way way you can witness to lost people is to be around lost people. That's that's it, guys. I know you are sitting here going, he gets paid to do this for a living, right? So Paul's proximity to Publius, uh, to Publius and his hospitality was the means of Paul's influence in the situation. If you want to have influence in certain ways in certain areas, 
you must understand that your proximity to those in which you want to have influence in is going to have to be near and not far. And for, for goodness sake, for goodness sake, and I mean goodness sake, please, please, please hear me in what I'm about to say. Facebook and Twitter are not proximity. Man, I'm going to tell you, if I had my druthers and I don't, y'all are grown people, you can do what you want, I would tell you to get off of that junk as quick as you possibly can. Paul went in to see Publius is dead. By the way, name we are never given. Never told who he is. And after Paul prayed, it says he laid his hands on him and healed him. Now, Paul praying would give us some assurances. And I think the assurance is that if Paul is going to pray for this man and lay his hands on this man, that Paul, based upon everything that we've read in Paul's history up until this point, is going to make it known that he is not responsible for the miracle, but he is a conduit of the which is responsible for the miracle because the only way this is going to happen is under the name of a man by the name of Jesus. By laying his hands on him, what Paul is, dis- is doing is he is displaying that he is offering this man's life to God for God's glory. Ladies and gentlemen, be very aware of those who obscure God's glory by elevating themselves. And here Paul prays to show his concern But he prays to show that whatever is about to happen is going to come from God and he's going to lay his hands on him to show him that God is working through him. And the Bible says that after this, the rest of the islanders who had diseases are coming and getting cured. But I want you to remember something that we have laid out through this entire entire study. Miracles always are uh, substantial. are making the message clear. Miracles were always for the purpose of making the message clear. You do not find miracles for the purpose of the miracle. You find miracles for the purpose of the message. Number one. Number two, what's narrative is not necessarily normative. In other words, if you land on an island tomorrow and you get bit by a viper, you're probably going to die from the viper bite. Right? You're probably going to die from the viper bite. You probably need to go to the hospital and get some meds. Okay? So you don't want to look at this passage and go, see, we are are not going to die from any viper bites, and we're not going to die from any sort of snake bites. What's narrative is not normative. What Luke is doing is recording the story. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that we are going to survive all viper bites. You would be ridiculous to think that. So the rest of the islanders are coming. The miracles always substantiate the message. And I think you would be hard-pressed to get me to believe that Paul didn't preach the gospel. Because when you go back and you read Jesus' healings, Jesus only healed with a verbal proclamation of the gospel, of the good news. Peter, when he performed miracles, he always preached what? Jesus, the gospel, the good news. 
I do want to tell you this. Although it's not in the Bible, it is merely church tradition, and merely church tradition is where you need to leave it. But I want you to listen. There is some church tradition that, Paul, that says that Paul founded a church on the island of Malta. And he set up a church. And in the setting up that church, while he was there for three months, he would be there for three months and he would establish this church. And according to church tradition, you can go study this yourself, that there is a tradition in the church that said this church that was started in Malta and its first pastor was a pastor by the name of Publius. So they would stay there for three months. They would stay the winter. And after the three-month stay is over, it says that they're going to honor him with marks of respect, and they're going to supply him with all that they need as they begin, they begin their trip forward. How do we know it's three months? Read verse 11. At the end of three months, we set sail. You're welcome. I'm not making this stuff up. I don't just pick random dates out of the air. You know that. So we know he stays three months. So why do I tend to lean into this church tradition as possibly being true? Because Paul has been there for three months. And if we've seen anything that the apostle will do for three months is what? He's going to preach and he's going to teach the gospel. And I think the response to their, when they're leaving, demonstrates something to us. Notice it says, he, they honored them with many marks of respect and supplied them with all they need. Now, when you go back and you read the Apostle Paul preach, what are the two things that are going to happen when the Apostle Paul preaches? Only two, there's only two things that happen when you go back and you read. When he preaches, either... A riot and a revolt happens, or repentance and a church is planted. So what would be my indication that a riot and a revolt happen? Well, there's going to be some beatings, going to be some killings, going to be some whippings. What would be your indication that a church is planted? I don't know, maybe honoring him? Maybe providing for him all of his needs? Because Christ has provided us all of our needs. Because that's what every church he planted ever did. They just provided for Paul so that he could continue to do the work that he is called to do. I don't know. That may be a great indicator. What if they had all come to believe in the gospel? Oh, by the way, hey guys, our time on Malta has ended. You need to get packing. We're headed somewhere, and we're going to finish this journey next week. But I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are. Beloved, we must see our lives, whether in a storm on the sea, being bit by a viper on land, or witnessing the healing of a leader on an island. 
you can either see it by circumstance and chance, or you can all see it in the providence of God. We can either be discouraged by our detours, or we can see the opportunities that are set before us. Because I'm going to tell you what life is going to do. On any given day, on any given morning, you're going to think you were bound for Rome, and you end up on an island like Malta. You're going to think you're picking up sticks for a fire, doing good, doing what you were supposed to do, trying to help, trying to serve, and you're bit by a viper. Now, you have a couple of choices. You can either look at that and say, well, I should have never, because this is what we do, I should have never helped. I should have never helped those people. I should have never picked up the sticks. I should have just sat there and done nothing, and I've never been bit by this viper. Because that's what we do. So what we do is we look at the means of God's providence, and we examine it, and then we say, well, we should have never done that without saying, wait, let's stop and think about this for a second. What if the means of God's providence was the very means that he was going to use to help create and to help build us and to help use us for his gospel? I believe there may be those of you who are in here may identify with the Maltese. You know, you look at your life and you say, you know what, I've actually done some good stuff. I've done some morally good stuff. I'm pretty hospitable. I like people. I'm I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy. As a matter of fact, I'll give you my shirt off my back. I don't know how that became the the quintessential, you know, good guy. He'll give you the shirt off his back. Right? I don't know how that happened. It happened. Keep keep your shirt on your backs, guys. Okay. But some of you are like the the people on Malta. You look at your life and you know you would say, "I'm pretty good. I've done some good stuff. I'm morally good. I help people." I mean, I just let that lady in the car line the other day. I mean, you remember when I was at the Chick Fil A line and we were backed out to Target, and I actually let her in. <laughs> I'm extremely hospitable. Beloved, your good works are a distorted reflection of God's imprint on you as His creation. You see, the question is not, have you ever done good? But the question, do you know that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? The question is, is not, have you done good? But the question is, why are you doing good? Because if our ultimate purpose in life is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, then even in my doing good, I could be doing it for the wrong reason if I'm not bringing glory to God. If I'm bringing glory to myself, I'm creating an idol of God inside of myself, and now I'm doing it for the wrong purpose. So even in the midst of doing the best thing I could, in my brokenness and my sinfulness and my depravity, I end up doing that which is wrong. You see, 
I want to call you to faith in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And watch. Watch how you're doing good changes. And for those of us who are His, Christ the King, listen to me. Christ the King, listen to me. May we be known for our hospitality. May we be known for our availability to those around us. And if God, by his providence this week, would give us the privilege of proclaiming Christ as our king, would we be faithful? And if God, in his providence, decides to bite you, with a viper. Would you be faithful? And if you were planning on going in one direction and God by his providence brings a storm and takes you on another, would you be faithful? Would you please stand to your feet? We're preparing our hearts now for the response of the message. You're here and you're visiting with us. We will participate in the Lord's Supper as we do every week because I know when I hear a message like this that oftentimes I reflect on my week and I have not been as, as hospitable as I could have been, not as faithful. So we want to be reminded that it's not in our good works. It's not in our good deeds. It's in who Christ is and what he's done for us. It's in his body and his blood. And it's in that that we were able to know what Jesus is and what he's done. So I want to call you to that. But this is the Lord's Supper. So if you're not a believer, we would ask for you not to participate in the Lord's Supper. Um, and the reason we say that is because um, this is a table that is meant for those who call him Christ and call him Lord. And if you're not a believer in here, I would call you to faith in Christ. By the way, at the end of this service, I will be over here or in the back. We have el other elders in the back. Rick is here. Jeremy is here. We have other deacons that are available for you. If you're not a believer this morning and you don't know how to come to Christ as your Lord and Savior and you'd like help with that or have questions about that, we will spend time with you. We will spend as long as it takes with you to share with you what the gospel, what the gospel is, to walk you through that. Or maybe you've been involved in church for so long, you know exactly what you need to do. You know exactly where you are. You know you're lost. You know you don't know Christ. You know you need to repent and believe. You can do that right where you are. And in following through that, we would ask for you to be baptized, obviously. But we come to you now and we ask that as we now reflect upon the word that is preached, for those of us who are, and by the way, if you're an unbeliever, you're more than welcome to walk up to the table and watch what's happening. We would just ask you not participate in the elements. So in this, we are going to now ask that we are going to bow our heads and close our eyes. We're going to go before our God and King in silent prayer and reflection as we ask God to forgive us of where we have failed this week in quiet reflection so that we do not come to this table in an unworthy manner. Let us pray.